This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by Hilarity Perfume, inviting and at the same time amusing. Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm free! I'm Brandon. And I'm Jeff, and this is That Does Suit Madam, a podcast about Are You Being Served? Hello, Unanimous. And Gladys. Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Mr. Jeff. Hello, Mr. Brandon. How is your evening going? Ah, uh, not too bad. I have just watched one of the, probably the funniest episodes of the show, like, within the hour. And I know after every episode, you I'm say like... that every You time. know what? This is the funniest. <laughs> this is the best. This is the coolest. But I have to say, like, I was eating my supper, and I was, like, laugh out, literally LOLing, um, giggling... Because this episode is just, I don't know, it's, it's like the entire podcast so far has been working towards this point. <laughs> and I'm going to be giggling a lot. But why, why else do we love comedy, man? It's, it's a really good show. How about you? Yeah, this is, this is a great ep- episode just for the visual gags alone, which is great to talk about on a podcast. Um, but, you know, I think that the plot is absurdist enough to make it funny but it there's it's also grounded in a little bit of reality so we'll uh we'll um talk about that in a bit yeah so um we've been getting a lot of fantastic uh exposure in the world and I'm sorry. Um, what did you say I, I i almost got picked up by the police for that last week oh but they threw the, the they threw those charges <laughs> out years charges, ago yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mr humphrey's joke um so i just wanted to say hello to all of our people who found us on the twitter machine tweeting machine thing um so we've been kind of reaching out in the world and it's my fault i should have been doing twitter a lot longer but oh well um at old tv programs and at classic com. hello and we've been getting some some people that way so hello folks and we've been hearing some uh from other folks on other platforms have we not mr jeff that's right, Mr. Brandon. We have. Indeed, we have. Yes, we have. <laughs> yes, it's unique. It's unusual. <laughs> uh, we want to thank some new listeners who liked our Facebook page. So, Renato and William, Glenn, Chris, Annie, Valerie, Amanda, and Keith. Thank you so much. You've all done very well. All done well. very well. Yes, indeed. And what else do we always say to the people, uh, to the unanimous Mr. Jeff every week? So, we're going to tell everyone, please stay at home. But if you have to venture outside, wear a mask and wash your hands. And as always... Black, Black Lives, Lives matter. matter. Yes, indeed. So um, I'm raring to go. I'm excited. Uh, let's just uh, take us back in time. Where where were we when this episode originally aired? So tonight we're talking about Series 5, Episode 7, It Pays to Advertise, which originally premiered on April 8th, 1977. And that week in the news, a judge ruled that the Beatles' 1962 Hamburg album could be released. Being oh. the Beatles mania fan that you are, do you know what this was about? I don't know. Like, I'm not an encyclopedic source for their litigation. <laughs> <laughs> um, 1962 hamburgers. So this, so this was before the Beatles were, like, warm and, like, squeaky clean. This is when they were kind of dirty and wore, like, months-old leather pants and stuff. Like, people don't realize the Beatles were kind of, like, rough. 
Um, when when were they on Ed Sullivan? When did they actually start? That was six. I want to say sixty three. Oh, so and, this is this is this is in their. You know, it's a deep cut, right? It's not like yeah, it's a it's so, a concert or something. Okay, and I don't know what that means. Why the why the judge had to like rule that it could be released? I don't know, but. Yeah, if you go and look at photos of the Beatles back in like nineteen, like in Hamburg, which you know is is a port city in Germany, and it was kind of rough in the fifties. They spent, God, like what's oh, that is, Ma- Malcolm is, Gladwell book where you have to do something a hundred thousand times to get good at it? The ten thousand hours, yeah, yeah, that's it. So the Beatles played like a hundred thousand or ten thousand hours or whatever it is in in Hamburg. That's so like that's why they got years. really good. Yeah, yeah, so. Oh, so is that why their anthology album has um, "She Loves You" in German and um, "She Liebt Dich"? Wanna, ja, ja, ja. Yeah, and I exactly. want to hold your got it. Okay, all right, that makes a little bit more sense. Thank you for clarifying that. That does suit um, the Beatles. And okay. also in the news, uh, Israeli Premier Itzhak Rabin resigned, and he was eventually succeeded by Shimon Peres. Ta-da. So there you go. Yeah. What's happening um, in Grace Brothers? Um, we have this kind of either handsome or creepy yes. or gender variant of some type person. He's definitely handsome slash creepy. Yeah. And it's funny because like he walks in and he, I, I swear to God, you know, this is a little bit about Brandon, Mr. Brandon here. In high school, I tried beat, uh, dancing to the beat of my own drum, let's say. No. Um, Shocking. I know, right? I know. Um <laughs> The man who at 12 was a member of the John Inman fan club. Um, it didn't have to come out of that closet too much, did I now? Yeah. Um, anyway, so I was, uh, you know, dress. I tried to dress in a way that expressed my personality. And this guy walks down the, down the, the, the stairs from the lift wearing like this tan jacket with this big brown fur like collar. And I swear I had that same coat. Like I'm in sure you did. That my senior year of high school, me. I was so cool, man. But yeah, this guy walks out and he's like, hello, I'm looking for some perfume. Can't tell if he's German or French. So it's, I'm you glad think? you brought that up. So I'm, he's playing yeah. a French character, right? Because every time that he reaches for the lady's hand, he says, pardon. But the actor is actually German. So good ear on that. Oh, okay. Well, right. yeah. I'm, I guess I'm the linguist today. Um, so, uh, yeah, so he's like, I'm looking for some perfume. And then Captain Peacock, of course, he, he couldn't turn his head to the left to see that all the perfume was sitting there. But, you know, we had to suspend belief. And, um, uh, what is it? I can't remember. Uh, oh, it's the sponsor of the show. Hilarity perfume. Inviting. At the same time, amusing. Uh, Mrs. Slocum tests it on her wrist. He doesn't really fancy that too much, does he? You're coming across rather like a Lancashire hot pot. (laughs) (laughs) Which smells delicious, but not in the same way as perfume. We know what a hot pot is, right? Yeah, because remember when Mr. Lucas was trying to get off sick from work in cold store and he stuck the onion under his arm? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is the second time they've made a reference to someone smelling like a hot pot, right? And it's funny because I love how Mrs. Slocum turns into that northern dialect almost where she says – I forgot how she says – no, well, yeah, but she says, like, I'm doing me hot pot. Right. Instead of, I don't know, it just sounded very non-middle class to me. Uh, so then he says, oh, what about this young lady? Maybe maybe she could test another one. So then she does, and she's like, here, here's my rest. 
That is good. Pardon. Oh, very sexy. <laughs> and I remember thinking when I was a kid, like, ooh, that's that naughty sex word. Ooh, it's <laughs> tiddly. Oh, no. And then, of course, what does he do with it, Jeff? He sprays it on himself, right? He, he, it's not for a lady. It's for him, right? Yes. And uh, as he's leaving, Captain Peacock says, I hope you found <laughs> what you're looking for. He goes, no, but wearing this... I might have all the luck. Or, um, uh, High hopes. <laughs> High and then hopes. he kind of like... That's it. He kind of comes on to Captain Peacock a little bit. Yeah. And then he like minces up the stairs and goes on his merry way. So over on the gentleman's counter, they're having a gossip about Lucas having spent the night at his girlfriend's. Uh, and she lives in a house where the landlady won't have uh, let gentlemen in after 11 p.m. So he had to pretend to be a, uh, pretend to be a TV repairman who was picking up the TV. And so he lifted up the set and carried it out, except he wasn't wearing any trousers. So he got caught Whoops. in the act. Right? So it's crazy to think that, like, you know, if you were a single woman and you lived in an apartment building, it was probably... I mean, not so much in 1977, right, or whenever this was made, but especially like if you see a movie from the 50s where I'm trying to think um, like a lot of the old Alfred Hitchcock movies and stuff like old school movies, there'll be like single women all live in a building together. And there's like a mother figure who lives on the first floor who like make sure men don't come and like this this whole thing that like today you don't really think about, but you know. He's well, describing probably, that here. Yeah, this probably wasn't a separate apartment. She probably had a bed set in a house. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Peacock is distributing the wage packets and Mrs. Slocum thinks there's a mistake because there's 10 pounds extra. But um, she had sat for a photography session and <laughs> the store had chosen her and Mr. Humphreys to be the models for the new center display sand dummies. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I'm already giggling. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> we find out that Mrs. Slocum was chosen to appeal to the average woman and Mr. Humphreys was chosen to appeal to the average man. I should well, be I should... so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> He's so cute. I right? love him. <laughs> so Mr. Harmon brings in the, the Mrs. Slocum dummy. Um, we find out that the Mr. Humphreys dummy is just outside the gents. Well, I'd better go get me before I'm head out for loitering. <laughs> All right. So let's break that one down in case people don't get the joke. I mean, that's kind of obscure. And luckily that kind of thing, I don't think happens anymore, but I have a feeling it happened a lot more in the seventies. Don't you think? I think so. I mean, the idea is that, um, there are, uh, certain restrooms that are known to be, um, cruising grounds, um, for for gay men. And if you spent too much time hanging around outside of the bathroom or inside of the bathroom, uh, the cops might think that you were there for nefarious reasons and arrest you for loitering. So, Mr. Humphreys is very careful about such things. Very Swan and Edgars, right? Yes. So um, they reveal the face on the Mrs. Slocum dummy, and I think she looks a bit like Margaret Thatcher. Is that Mr. Jeff saying that, or is that like a character from the show saying that? No, that's me saying that. You know, it's funny. We were just speaking before we started recording about the new season of The Crown. Right. And I, um, so Gillian Anderson plays Margaret Thatcher in season four of The Crown. And if you've not seen it, after you watch and listen to this podcast, um, go watch the episodes. But I have to say, like, Margaret Thatcher, um, one, I would not align with her whatsoever politically. But just the way she speaks and her hair, man... 
is like the second character is the hair. Oh, um, yeah. Insane. So from the hair perspective, I don't think she looks like her, but she kind of has that pantsuit kind of power woman 1977. Because Thatcher was the PM in 77, right? Uh, was it 77 or 80 that she got elected? Who knows? I'm sure people are screaming out their podcast radios right, right now. Radios. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny that um, I thought it was so mean how they kept going on and on about, oh, it's right that they didn't spend the extra money on the wrinkles. On the wrinkles, right? <laughs> and she's standing right there. They're um, so mean. I, I do have to say that this is probably one of the most lifelike mannequins they've ever had. Because this actually looks like a person. Whereas the other ones really look like mannequins, like because they've got that painted on face. This one actually has like a facial expression that is pretty close to being anatomically accurate. Yeah, and it's funny because I was thinking, I wonder what happened to those those dummies. Like, are they in some collector's item somewhere? Right. Oh my god! Like, can you imagine if I had like the Mister Humphreys dummy, (laughs) and I would just like charge people to take selfies with it? I, I don't know. That'd be so cool. So they reveal the dress, and this mannequin is quite buxom, right? It's, it's just overpronounced. It's a caricature. Mr. Slocum starts to pitch a fit. I refuse to be displayed with a size 50 bust. My vital statistics are 38. So if you listen carefully, she stumbles over the word statistics yeah, in the yeah. same way that she did back in the no-sale episode. You don't know me. You but don't my right know now- me. <laughs> I'll just go over my vital statistics again. All right. Yeah. So that must be a word that Molly Sugden um, struggled with. Statistics. You know, we, statistics. All have the, we all have those bugbear words that we always stumble over and can't pronounce properly. Yeah. And that must have been one of them for her, right? So, so okay. So she, you know, doesn't have a size 50 bust. So Mr. Harmon reaches in the mannequin's <laughs> bra and no starts worries, pulling out stuffing. <laughs> And it's like nasty old like stuffing from like the bottom of a crate or something. Right. Yeah, it's not brand new batting at all. Now, I've got a trivia question for you. Go ahead. So he says, uh, Mrs. Slocum says, Mr. Captain Peacock, um, I don't want to have a rough workman's hand in my bra. And then Mr. Harmon says, it might be your last chance, love, or something. Yep. Which other episode has that been said and by whom? Oh, that same exact exchange or it might be your last chance, love? I I think it's the same. Ooh, was it a bra? Is it, no, is it, it wasn't a bra, but it was a very similar situation. Okay, so it could be your last chance, love, in, yep, in yep, the same yep. situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so proud I know this. Oh, God. All right, I don't think we've had it already um, because my first um, my first thought would be um, the, epi- the, the episode where uh, you haven't had any frills at all and it might be too late, right? So uh, th- there's that. I'll give you a hint. Wait, wait no, hold on, hold on. I want <laughs> power of deduction here. I want okay. to talk my It's way very through. important to Jeff to get this right. It is so important to me. <laughs> um, so there's, there could, is it the one where they're all quarantined? In the basement? No, it's an episode we have already done. It is an episode we've already done. Sugar. You can say uh, shit. It's explicit. Oh, that's true. Um, <laughs> man, I don't know. I don't recall. I will when say did... um, uh, Mr. Mash. 
Mr. Mash. Okay, so it's a couple of seasons ago. It's in the early beginning. It could be your last chance. It could be your last chance. Um, I'm stumped. I, I, I don't know. I'm pretty sure in Camping In, Mrs. Miss Brahms is in her tent, and then she says, oh, I don't like pajamas. I like to sleep in the nude. I don't like things that are rough against I my skin. I don't like skin. rough things against my skin. Okay. And then doesn't he say... No. no, 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 I'm sorry. But I think it was that episode. <laughs> I know, right? I think it was that episode where um, it's, it's uh, Mrs. Slocum. And then some, she says something about, I don't want rough workman's hands on my knickers or something. And then he says, this might be your last chance. Or am I making it up? You could very well be making it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's true, unanimous. It's true. I, 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 I'm short circuiting. I mean, Jeff, okay. what you're sounding, what you're sound, what you're saying sounds plausible. Like I'll, that's I'll the t- thing I'll about the show. That. Like we've seen it so many times that every episode, like, and and so many um, tropes are redone over and over again that it's entirely possible. You know what? Let's let's call up the um, Secretary of State for Georgia and have them do a recount, and then we'll figure out what episode it really was in. That's a political joke that Jeffrey made <laughs> for those who are not in the United States. By the way, mo- a lot of the Twitter people are from the United Kingdom. Hello, United Kingdom. Hello. 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 Oh, God, that was terrible. <laughs> They're going to think that that's how I think British people really sound. Yes, anyway. uh, on, this, on this podcast, uh, uh, British citizens, um, you hear Americans talk ad nauseum about Cockney rhyming slang and plaring. It's kind of... Kind of interesting. Someone said it's strange to see. It's strange to listen to two Americans talk about the career of John Clegg and it remind us who John is. Clegg is, Mister Jeff. <laughs> it absolutely is so strange to hear uh, <laughs> two Americans talk about. We we are unanimous in that. We are unanimous. He's the fellow who had a non-detectable toupee in a couple of episodes ago. Um, what else has he been in in the show, John Clegg? Uh, just like the random like customer who gets snarled and gets sold a jacket that's too long or something. Yeah. Sure. And he's yeah. also, I think he was also in a couple other uh, television shows, uh, Croft and Lloyd, right? Yeah. So there we yes, go. Yes, indeed. Okay. So she gets Harmon to stop ripping out the, the stuffing, right? <laughs> and then Mr. Granger approaches the mannequin and he <laughs> thinks it's really her. And she's like, she is miming like surprise like she's got her hand half like over her mouth giggling. like she's five yeah. years old yeah. half hiding behind this mannequin like he can't see her His hello mrs slocum like, good morning don't you look nice this morning and yeah and the mannequin doesn't respond <laughs> <laughs> all right you pompous old cow and walks away <laughs> at this point i'm like so primed to just think everything is fucking hilarious at this point <laughs> so i'm already like rip just laughing crazily at this point when the show yeah. Hodder, uh, Harmon and Goddard bring in the Humphreys mannequin. Why is Goddard working in the uh, maintenance department? Why isn't he driving Mr. Grace's Rolls Royce? Well, remember, there's that, that, that conspiracy theory we, we posited on the program that maybe he and Mr. Humphreys have a little, you know, a tete-a-tete. Oh. From, and, from time to time. And so maybe he's coming to check on him to make sure that... Uh, 
the gentleman with the, the hilarity perfume isn't trying to uh, take him away. It could be a whole like territory, territoriality kind of easy for me to it say. It might be. Territoriality. Um, that, that's your statistics. St- statistics. <laughs> yes. Um, actually, that'd be kind of fun to like think of like, all right, what are the s- elusive clandestine uh, gay relationships at, at uh, Grace Brothers? <laughs> Um, has, has Warwick started yet in the maintenance department or is that a character that comes on a little bit later? Oh, is that the one that wears the pink, uh, neckerchief? No, no, no. Mr. Harmon's partner in the maintenance department who always helps him when he needs a second set of arms to bring up a, um, a, a prop. So they bring out the, 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 the Humphreys mannequin and it's got its hand on its hip <laughs> and its arm sticking out and Lucas bends the wrist into that like, He's like, classic limp right. position, right? So then he fixes his wrist and it's so gay. He's just standing with his arm almost like he's saying, stop in the name of love. It very, very much is, right? But then he just puts his wrist down. <laughs> it's so stupid. Um... <laughs> There's and he's sitting there with an expressionless face, which is perfect for Mr. Humphreys. Right. Well, he, they needed something for him to mimic when, you know, in, in, oh, in the next scene, right? Yeah. So um, Mr. Humphreys says that there's something not quite right about the expression. It must be in the neck. And so he tries to adjust the neck and ends up ripping the head off. And we know how cheap the entire store is. And so, of course, they're going to make Mr. Humphreys pay for this. Right. So the, uh, Mr. Harmon promises to send it down to... Uh, the um, DIY department, and they're going to fix it for him. But in the meantime, Rumbold comes in to inspect the mannequins. So Humphreys has to stand in for his own dummy. Which is so stupid, but amazing, because they have to like, all right, uh, oh, we forgot to say, this isn't supposed to be for ladies and gentlemen's wear. This is supposed to be a new underwear campaign. Okay, so the fact that they're going to have like Mrs. Slocum and Mr. Humphreys be an underwear model? That is so absurd. Right. And then I love how Harmon, like, oh, that's easily fixed. And then, like, apparently Mrs. Slocum's outfit was, like, put on by two Velcro dots. <laughs> Not on her shoes, but on her clothes. And then he did, with one fail whoop, swoop, one fail swoop all of her clothes are gone instantly. And she's sitting there in her underwear. And she almost faints. <laughs> the real Mrs. Slocum almost has, almost faints. She collapses backwards into a chair. This, this Mr. a waiting chair, yes. Mr. Lucas calls for a glass of water for Mrs. Slocum. <laughs> and after seeing that lot of glass of water for me as well. Uh, I also love how Mr. Humphreys gave an osteopath joke. Because we talked about osteopaths and We did, and we did Mr. Randall. We did, yes, we did. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, it's fine. Uh, I, I was training to be an osteopath. And then he tries to pull off his neck and he succeeds. And he says, that's why they wouldn't let me complete the training. There you go. <laughs> so, so Mr. Lucas and Captain Peacock have to undress the Humphreys mannequin, who was really Mr. Humphreys. And so Mr. Lucas is getting very close. Like, I cannot believe they made it through this scene without breaking. <laughs> and you could see, the, like, the worry in Mr. Humphreys' face. And oh, I don't so know why cute. he just doesn't, like, call an end to it right there. Because he takes the, Lucas takes his trousers down and Mrs. Miss Brahms goes, well, they're getting very thorough in display, aren't they? And I'm wondering if that's what does Mr. Humphreys have a very prominent VPL or was he not wearing any underwear at all that day? <gasps> well, luckily for us, the camera did not pan down. So it's all a mystery. But it's it was so mystery. cute. 
you can tell at which point they pull down his wife fronts or his trousers to expose himself. Because I think his little face, which is so cute. I think I have a little crush on Mr. Humphreys. His little face, I think his mouth, like slightly, his chin fell a little bit. Yep. <laughs> so you can kind of tell the minute when, the second when it came down. Oh, he's so cute. So, so we ridiculous. cut up to young Mr. Grace's office. And he informs the department that they're ordering more mannequins for the other branches because they've been a hit so far. Um, Mr. Humphrey says, well, I've already had a lot of fan mail and most of which I don't understand and none of which I intend to answer. Because somehow these people in the random stores know where the real Mr. Humphreys is. Right. And they send in the fan mail. (laughs) So Mr. Grace had another idea about how to promote the store. Um, and he got it from the movies. He went to the cinema last night and he saw Blue Emmanuel 4, uh, which is a, no very, is. It's a very famous French series of movies um, that are basically softcore porn, basically like Skinamax. Oh. Yeah, like they carried X ratings. And rather than being, um, you know, trying to be being ashamed of it and, you know, uh, delegating it to the Blue Theater, where, mm. if you remember from the pilot, Captain Peacock is a member, um, they made it mainstream across Europe. And it was very, very popular and got, like, a mainstream audience. So basically, this was porn, but not porn porn. I mean, they they were probably, it's probably a movie, and they probably had a sex scene, would you say? Probably, uh, pro- probably um, lots of nudity, Maybe one sex scene that doesn't really focus on the showing the genitals during the sex, but like maybe just showing kissing and breasts and things like that. Um, yeah, that's what I imagine this would be like. Um, maybe Blue Emmanuel 4 is not to Mr. Jeff and, and I are liking. Um, well, you know, I didn't see Blue Emmanuel 1 through 3, so you have to really didn't want to, You have to start with 1, yeah. No, you have to start at the very beginning. <laughs> Um, but I wonder, like, I wonder if, like, Blue Emmanuel Four, if we watched it today, would it be like, oh, it's like a rated R movie, like, uh, it's like with anyone in it these days, right? Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I mean, morals have changed. Who knows? I've always wondered what that was. Huh. Okay. So, um, Mr. Grace's idea is to advertise the store to make a, a, a commercial that's filmed that's shown during movie intermissions, because remember, back in the day, they would stop a movie in the middle and have commercials. You know, rather than they do now, at least in the States, where everything is in the beginning, where they try to get you to go to the concession stand, and then they show 17 trailers, and then you have a um, a Coca-Cola advert in the beginning, right? No, they, okay. would, they would have an intermission. I have to jump in to say... Go for it. My first job was at this local cinema mm-hmm. when I was a 16-year-old little gay little guy, little gay guy, and I learned... And first of all, that's the best job you can have when you're 16, all the popcorn, all the candy, get your friends in for free. So cool, right? A cinema, I mean, I don't know about like the big chains, but like this was an independent kind of thing. But it was a big one. It had like, I don't know now, it's been a while, like a dozen screens. It was, it was oh, big. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it, it was probably too big, but whatever. Um, so this, this cinema, this movie theater... Um, I learned that when you buy the celluloid, of course, back then, this was, you know, 20 years ago, um, most of the money you spend on a ticket actually goes to the movie companies. The theaters only keep about 10% of that money. So the reason why you see 
Aren't you thirsty? Don't you want an ice-cold Coca-Cola? How about some popcorn or some, I don't know, jujubes or something? That's all because the entire movie theater industry is basically a glorified snack bar. Yeah. Because you go and spend eight ninety five for a soda and twelve ninety five for popcorn. Popcorn costs like two cents each. Right. So it's funny to think that the entire industry is to sell popcorn for two cents each. <laughs> so Captain Peacock thinks it's a good idea because he remembers seeing a commercial with Spike Milligan jumping through the bottom of a boat. Um, Spike Milligan was a famous actor in the 60s and 70s. And Captain Peacock is actually referring to a real commercial uh, that was made for... Oh, I thought he was making it up. No, no, he's actually referring to a real commercial that was made for Benson and Hedges Cigarettes where um, he's robbing a bank and he's so laden down with the gold bars that he robbed from the bank that he goes to jump in his getaway boat and he crashes through the bottom. The whole thing was they used a packet, an empty packet of Benson and Hedges Cigarettes to stop the alarm bell. They put it between the striker and the bell. Oh. Yeah. It's weird. It, it's, yeah. It, it's, it sounds like a very strange... That's well, right. Benson it, and th- Hedges for those bank a, robbers This was a there. new concept in advertising at the time. Rather than promoting the product and talking about the benefits of the product, they had this little skit where the product was only this ancillary side piece. And that was what mm. made it memorable. That was the whole, the whole idea that they did, right? Okay. That's interesting. So um, the advertising agency have come up with a sort of script and a sort of storyline and a sort of ridiculous price for making it, right? I've got a question. So when Mr. Gray says, yes, we thought about that, but I didn't like it, Spike Milligan jumping through the bottom of a boat, why did he say, but I didn't like it? Is that Because because it it wasn't a naked lady like in uh, Blue Emanuel. Oh, got it. Got it. Got it. That's so... Okay. I've I've always wondered why he said that. And now it makes sense. So TV commercials can be pretty expensive to make, right? Mm, Um, So one of the most famous TV commercials of all time is um, Hilltop. Uh, it, the the title of it is called Hilltop, and it's uh, Coca Cola's "I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing." I like to teach the world to yep. sing. There you go. Perfect harmony. I like to the, buy them all a Coke. Yep. The art director for that, uh, Harvey Gabor, actually passed away this week, um, uh-huh. and uh, the commercial cost uh, two hundred fifty uh, two hundred fifty thousand dollars to make back in nineteen seventy one. Um, adjusted for inflation, that's $1.6 million. And that's okay. just to make the commercial. That's not the media buy. And today, it can cost anywhere. You know, you could spend $1,000 to get make a commercial for, on your, like, your local access cable television yeah. for like your car dealership. Or literally millions of dollars just to make the commercial, right? Buying the ad time on television or on a streaming platform is what really blows like the price out. Like a um like a 30 second spot during the Super Bowl easily is five million dollars. Damn. Yeah. Um why don't we head on down to the canteen for a tea break and um when we come back, let's see how they get on with making this commercial. For some reason I really want a Benson and Hedges right about now. Or a Coke. So I think I might just have a cup of tea instead. How about that? I think I'll have a sidecar, Henry. Oh, lovely. All right, well, we'll be right back after a quick on nip on down to the canteen. 
Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. A handbag? Or an official podcast sofa pillow. Perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Does Suit Madam merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And you've all done very well. All right, well, gosh, you know what I had in the canteen, Mr. Jeff? I had a delicious Mr. Kipling's Cherry Bakewell. Delicious. What did you have? I I had a couple of sidecars. Oh, um, it sounds like you're also having um, hiccuping liquid from Willy Wonka. No. What was that magic liquid that make you hiccup with Willy Wonka? Burp. It was the one that made him burp. Oh, that's right. Never mind. Different, different podcast. Anyway, listeners, we are going to be, can we still call this a new segment if we've been doing it for several episodes? I don't think we can. But here is a segment of our podcast where we talk about English things we love. And this segment is, I am unanimous in this. And uh, today we're going to be talking about British desserts. And so we got turned on to this topic because we got a tweet from superfan Leroy who reminded us of an ice cream shop in San Francisco named Humphrey Slocum. Oh, yeah. We were both, we were both aware uh, of, uh, of said shop. Um, and it's founded by two guys who have a love for this show. And they decided to name their ice cream shop after um, the two leading characters. Um, it's got two locations, one in, uh, the mission and the other in the Embarcadero and their ice cream is available in grocery stores all over the West coast. Cha-ching. Yeah. Um, so I actually worked like a block or two away. So I lived in the West coast for a a bit and, um, I've always heard about Humphrey Slocum, Humphrey Slocum. And that was before I ever thought about doing a podcast on art being served. And I have to say, shamefully, I've never actually had their ice cream. If only they were to uh, market to the East Coast, then I'm, I'm thinking it's an untapped market. I mean, a, a whole other half of the country, people. But they sound like a bunch I, of cool people. Yeah, I mean, shamefully, I've been to San Francisco a handful of times and also have never visited either location. But the next time that I am out there, I promise you guys that I will go out there and maybe I'll do do a little bit of a bit out there. So listen, if you live in San Francisco or the Bay Area and you go to either their location in the Ferry Building or 24th and Harrison in San Francisco, take your photo in front of it and send it to us. Like, that's cool. There's like an ice cream shop in San Francisco that's roughly based on... Are t- my two favorite characters anyway have already been served. That's cool. It's neat because yeah. in the show, everyone's like, <laughs> I went to their Wikipedia page and, you know, to figure out why do they choose the name. And they just, they just liked it. So there's a, there's a famous 
um, chef in the Bay Area in um, Berkeley named Alice Waters. And she kind of started like the whole, I'm air quoting, like California cuisine movement, which is like clean food, man. And, you know, um, if you have a hippie aunt, she, she, that's what, that's how yep. she eats, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Very um, good. Anyway, so they asked um, all these reporters, like, and then these two guys, uh, Jake and Sean, they're pretty, I, I imagine they're pretty well known in the, in the Bay Area. And uh, people said, so why did you, why did you guys call your shop this name that sounds funny? And um, Jake Godby says, if Alice Waters, the, 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 the aunt lady who cooks like your aunt, um, if Alice Waters can name her Berkeley restaurant Chez Panisse, it's very fancy sounding, doesn't it? Um, after a highbrow French film, they could they could name their ice cream store after a quote lowbrow British farce, which we will not take personally. Don't worry, uh, Jake. I think that is the best description for this show. <laughs> you know, absolutely, absolutely right. Yeah, because I, 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 when I explain what I do on this podcast to people who are not familiar with it, you know, I, I describe the show as a '70s workplace sitcom, and that doesn't do it justice because yeah. it is it is a farce, is what it is, and you know that's well said. Um, have you ever been to an Alice Waters restaurant? I went to. Um I went to Chez Panisse in, in Berkeley and they have like okay. – so if you've not been, Chez Panisse is one of these places where you'd go for like your 50th birthday. You know, like it's going to be expensive and really hard to get a table. But I think they have a thing where you go and you don't sit in the main room but you sit in like the porch or something okay. <laughs> where you're not like the, the – where all the like the banker people are. But it was, you know, delicious food, you know, not bad. But it's kind of cool. It, I think it speaks a lot to Jake and Sean's sort of ethos about their shop. Like, we're going to name it after are you being served? So that's pretty right. awesome. Yeah. Totally. Uh, apart from ice cream, what kind of British desserts do you like? You know, I mentioned uh, coming back from the uh, canteen, Mr. Kipling. So if you're an American and maybe Canadian, I don't know if they have uh, Little Debbie in Canada. But that's what I'm thinking. So okay, Mr. So Little Debbie is the kind of snack cake that you get like when your mom makes your lunch when you're in elementary school, and it's all very processed and it's all like hydrogenated oil and like every, it's like little cakes with icing on it, so it's really moist. But in that greasy kind of coconut oil kind of, you know, yeah, not a wholesome kind of thing. I mean, it's it's also just cheap sugar. So Mr. Kipling. So that's Little Debbie. Mr. Kipling is sort of probably the closest thing I think the UK has. Um, I never really considered it to be gross, kind of the way I do <laughs> Little Debbie. Um, but they have something called um, a Bakewell tart. And if this is also another throwback to the show. To Miss Bakewell. To Miss Bakewell. Because in the UK, to call someone a tart is to say, oh, you're like... Uh, Prozzy. You're a prosy. You're sort of cheap and you wear clothes that are too revealing. And so <laughs> Mr. Young Mr. Grace's secretary, secretary named Bakewell, as I think Mr. Jeff quite aptly pointed out, is pointing to the Bakewell tart. And it's a very famous little, like kind of an innocent little tea time cake thing. It's yep. almost like if you've ever had those, if you're an American and you've had those um, – pecan or pecan pies that are the size of like a coaster those little tiny ones it's right. almost like that with a cherry inside 
I want to say marzipan on top or just icing and then a, a, a candied cherry on top. And it's so good. Yum. What about you? What's your favorite one? Well, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention sticky toffee pudding. Um, no, that's because it is so delicious. Um, it takes forever to make, so it's not something that you could just like whip up on your own on a regular Tuesday night. Um, it's also really hard for you know they don't sell molasses in every single grocery store. It's not as um, uh, available as treacle is in your average Sainsbury's. So it's definitely either you know, a special event type of dessert or it's something you'd get out. And it's what just is treacle? So Remind me. I don't think I know. It's it's molasses. Oh, well, that was easy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's the sticky toffee pudding. It's the base of it is a mix between – it's a texture that's a mix between a custard and a sponge cake, right? That sounds delicious. It's definitely, it's definitely more custardy, but it's got a tiny little bite to it. Um, not, not as gelatinous as a flan, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's a little bit airy. And then it's just got um, toffee just poured on top of it or you know, baked in the bottom and then flipped upside down. So, you know what so I, good. You know what I think it sounds like? It's like if you take flan and mix in like spice cake and just literally mix them together. That's what – I've had it before, spice, sticky yeah. toffee pudding. And it's like – it's hard to describe because we literally don't have anything fairly close to it I'd say. Yeah, but it, it it is quite amazing. Um, but yeah. for an everyday for an everyday dessert, um, I like a good posset, um, which again is is is, is custard like. Uh, it's basically made with um, cream and some kind of citrus. Hmm. And so there's a brand called Pots and Co that they sell in every supermarket. That um, it's 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 a little posh. Um, it costs two pounds each for an individual serving, but it comes in this ceramic ramekin. That you can reuse. That should be our next vocal warm-up. Ceramic ramekin. Ceramic ramekin. Um, it comes in and, and that you can reuse. And I've got a cupboard full of them. <laughs> because every time I'm over there, I eat it and I save the, the, the ramekin. And it's just so good. They make one that's a lemon-lime. They make one that's a mango. They make one that's like a lava cake. It's just the perfect amount of sweet, too. It's not, it's not sugary sweet, but it's like fruit sweet. So one of the cool things about going to the UK is, you know, if you're in the UK, this might be blasphemous, but I love Weatherspoons. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of people like they don't like Weatherspoons because it's kind of like a chain. But for American, uh, Weatherspoons is kind of if you took the pubs of England, of, of Britain, I should say, and kind of homogenized them a bit and made them corporate Sadly, the guy who owns it or runs it, I'm not sure, was a big Brexit person. So that sucks. Mm. Um, but essentially, it makes food like you can order on the your, on your app and they bring it to your table. And it was kind of cheap. So I went to Weatherspoons a lot. And they're all over Britain. Like almost every little town, I think, has one. And what's cool about Weatherspoons is that Weatherspoons... Weatherstones or spoons? Now I'm confused. Spoons. Weatherspoons. Huh. Um, they take really cool architectural spaces, like an old church or uh, an old train depot or some really cool big space, and they'll buy it and then refurbish it and make it into like a restaurant, which is kind of cool. Wow. Yeah. Okay. 
but they would always have, um, I think it would be called apple crumble, maybe. Basically like an apple cobbler. And then um, for like an extra 65p, you can put um, custard on it. Oh. And as my little American ears asked, you know, what is this custard? I've always heard of it. And I know that the Teletubbies liked it somehow. But I don't think I really knew what custard was. And then I was told, well, it's like cream, but sweet and better. And I I think it's basically like uh, unfrozen ice cream. Wouldn't you say? Okay. Yeah, I think that's that's one way of putting it. Yeah. So put melted ice cream (laughs) on top of a hot, delicious apple crumble with all the little bits on top. And it's amazing. So... Um, you can actually get Pots and Co. in the States. Um, no. they sell it, they sell it at Costco nationwide and on the West coast, they'll sell it at Albertsons and Safeways. So, um, if you have any of those in your area, go check it out cause it's delicious. It's worth it. If not for the ramekins alone. <laughs> yeah. Come for the uh, deliciousness. Stay for the, ra- for the ramekins. Stay for the ramekins. <laughs> All right, so um, back to our commercial. That's weird. Back to our commercial. Usually we're cutting away from uh, to a commercial. So where were um, we in the episode, Mr. Jeff? We, we cut to uh, Mr. Locust pouring a packet of peanuts in a bowl. He's wearing a cardigan sweater. He's not wearing his suit. They're obviously after hours, and they've definitely coded people in their, co- in their wardrobe to be <laughs> that they're on a film set, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Mr. Humphreys is the director. He's got a green eye shade visor. A, he's carrying a clipboard, and he's got a very long neckerchief that's tied around his um, tied around his neck, much much longer than when he was the chef in the takeover. Right? <laughs> he also has those funny riding pants. Yeah, that for so some reason he, directors wore like they're riding on a horse. I don't get yeah. it. So he's you know again wardrobe coded as being on set. Um, Mr. Rumble, Mrs. Slocum, and Mr. Peacock are in the hair and makeup department. <laughs> Mr. Peacock, Captain Peacock is sitting under a rigid hood hairdryer, and his hair is in curlers. And he's not happy because, about it. Because he's supposed to be a David Niven type. <laughs> he's got the shortest, thinnest haircut possible. And I, I don't even imagine what he, kind of hair he can have to put in curls, right? <laughs> Um, Mrs. Slocum has to put on false eyelashes because hers are too thin and they won't show up on camera. And so we get this running gag throughout the rest of the episode <laughs> that her eyelashes are either glued open or glued shut. So and so she's pulling these faces like with one eye open <laughs> and like distorting her jaw. It's like, like she's looking Joe through bars. I might as well be in Holloway. Which I supposed was a, pr- a prison, right? Holloway is a very famous prison in London. It's actually the one that the Bad Girls prison was based on. Oh, Bad Girls, of course, uh, famous to Jeff and I because it had the actress in it who played Sandra from Beautiful Thing. Linda Henry. Linda Henry of of Coronation Street, no, of uh, EastEnders fame. EastEnders, right. Uh, it It also had Stephanie Beecham in it. So Stephanie Beecham is a very prolific British actress. Um, to our fans, you might best you might know her best as 
um, Patsy Stone's stick sister Jackie from Absolutely Fabulous. Um, she's kind of a Joan Collins type. Yes, no, you're absolutely right. I forgot and about she her. Pl- she she played one of the posh prisoners. You know, Bad Girls is a really good show. I I just when I was writing up the notes of this uh, for this episode, I looked on Amazon to see if they sell the DVD in the U.S. and they do not sell. Um, a Region 1 or a Region 0 DVD for it here. So if you want to give us a non-coded DVD player and a British version of Bad Girls on DVD, drop us a line and we'll give us your address? Our address? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's crazy. And then, of course, um, Mr. Rumbold wants a piece of the action. It wouldn't be a That Does Suit Madam episode if we didn't have an Ish moment. Oh, right? okay. Where Mr. Rumbold is playing the leader of the Gypsy oh, Orchestra. Oh, that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we don't use that word anymore. Because the preferred, uh, I think that community would prefer the title uh, Romany. Romney, yeah. Romney, yeah. So there we go. FYI. Uh, Mr. Granger is playing Henry the lovable old bartender, and he's wearing a pink tuxedo jacket and trousers that are too tight for him, and he can't even close them up. <laughs> and I don't know when we should bring this up, but this is, I don't know the chronolo- chronologic, what is, uh, statistics, the chron- <laughs> chronology, that's it, that's it. I don't know the chronology of it, but I was thinking when I saw him on camera on the TV, that of my, that might have been the last bit of time he was on stage, because didn't Arthur Bro like pass away very shortly after the filming of this? But then we have the movie, and I don't know when the movie yeah. was filmed. So this episode aired in April nineteen seventy seven. So it was probably filmed in February March nineteen seventy seven. The movie came out in July nineteen seventy seven. So it was probably filmed in. April, May, right? It was probably filmed right before that. He, his wife passed away in spring 78 and he died like two months later. So they didn't tape season six until fall of 78, probably because they were ready to go in the spring. And then, you know, those things happened and they had to recast for that. So, um, so it sounds like that might that this, these scenes might have been the last one of his last. Yeah, yeah, wow. And you know, of course, he. You know, I I, I posited maybe last episode. Um, it's so strange that his last episode is the one after the one called "Goodbye, Mr. Granger." Goodbye, Mr. Granger. And I almost right. wonder if he was in ill health. And you know, he was seventy-eight. I think. The actor, yeah. Yeah, and which honestly, 78 isn't very old, but as you always say, in 1977, 78 was kind of getting old. It was old. ancient, yeah. Yeah, because they don't have Lipitor and all of these things magically they do these days. So, yeah, poor guy. Um, but we're not ready to let go of Mr. Granger just yet because as we teased last episode, next week we are going to talk about the movie. Yeah. So, one more. Um, Miss Brahms is wearing a hat, girl, hat check girl, uh, girl costume with a, uh, just like a bunny, right? Uh, like the Playboy bunny from the mansion, right? right? Yeah. Um, Hugh Hefner was not the one who thought of that. So a, a bar that he used to go to when he was a college student called Bunny's Tavern in Urbana, Illinois, started doing it in the 40s. The bunny costume? Co- the bunny costume, oh. yep. 
And he was, Hugh Hefner was a, uh, a, a university student in, I guess, the 50s or the 60s. No, it must have been the 50s. Um, who uh, went to that bar and got the idea. And he ended up crediting them with the idea. I don't know if they got, like, royalties from uh, the mansion and all the Playboy clubs and whatnot. But, like, he, it, was, it was very well documented that he credited them with the idea. The things you learn. The more you know, yeah. Um, and then we meet Mr. Crawford from the photographics department, who's going to be the cameraman for this commercial. You mean so, to tell me with a face like that, you're behind the camera? <laughs> so uh, Crawford is played by Raymond Bowers, who we actually met earlier this season in uh, the Mrs. Slocum Expects <gasps> episode. Oh. He was the pure cashmere sweater. Pure um, And the same for my friend here. I live alone. This guy, yep. Would you like to come up to have a drink? I don't think I I can afford afford that. that. (laughs) Um, He did look familiar. He is very clearly hitting on um, Mr. Humphreys. So this is, you know, I think this this character of this part of the uh, um, Loading Croft Troop was typecast. And you know, I I, I kind of want to push back to say he was not hitting on him, but... Oh, come on. I know. I mean, you also see Mr. Humphreys, which to his credit, or not to his credit, but to the ambiguity that that character has, he never, ever, ever confirms that he's gay. He always kind of, when people talk about it, he kind of like gives a scorned look, you know? Um, And whenever... I think we get. I think in this particular episode, we got a lot of mixed message about his about his ambiguity, right? Because er, earlier there was the line about the mannequin appealing to the average man. I should be so lucky that I should appeal to the average man, or that he's that he is average, right? Uh, And then here we have, um, you know, Crawford says, "Oh, with a face like yours." Whatever, which is could be uh, a straight director could say that as well, right? And then Humphreys replies, "Well, one has to decide which side of the fence to be on." To which Crawford kind of leans in and gives a knowing little, and it's not always an easy decision, is it? Right? That kind of <laughs> idea, like you know, we're cut from the same cloth. To yeah. which hum- Humphreys like kind of like nods and like half heartedly agrees. Yeah, that's what I mean. You know, but he doesn't refute it. No, that's right. true. And, you know, it's kind of cool – well, not, not cool, but just interesting for us to try to look through a 2020 lens at this from, you know, what, 45 years ago or whatever. Right. Um, back then, you couldn't say, oh, hey, girl. Hey, Mary. You couldn't do that. I mean, you could. I love that you just went from hey, bro to hey, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> I said hey, hey, girl is what I said. Oh, hey, girl. Oh, I misheard yeah. you. <laughs> hey, girl. Hey, Mary. Yeah, but like, you know, back then they were – and we've kind of – we've talked about this ad nauseum on the, on the show, on the podcast, where you couldn't just be outward about it. Right. That's, so, why, that's why they have to talk Polari. Yeah, and then just like – I think um, – I'm trying to think of another example, but maybe not. But where they say – I don't think back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, they would say, oh, he's gay, isn't he? They would probably say he's something gender, like – He's ginger, isn't he? In ginger, No, they'd probably say, um, I think he gardens on the other side of the fence. They'd use some euphemism, right? Yeah, some, yeah. some idiom thing. Yeah. Confirmed bachelor, something along those lines, right? Yeah. So uh, Mr. Harmon, who's doing the sound for the commercial, 
uh, calls out to <laughs> Mr. Humphreys and calls him Peck and Poof. Uh, this is a reference to the director Sam Peckinpah, who was best known for The Wild Bunch in 1969. Uh, and he had a different vision about Westerns to make them a little bit more realistic and violent. And he kind of changed the genre. Okay, so film historian Mr. Jeff here. Um, I I didn't notice Mr. I didn't notice this when I was a kid, but watching it now, Harmon walks up to to Humphreys and's like Mr. Peck and Poof, and I didn't I heard him say Poof and I'm like oh, that's something. And we we remember my diatribe last episode where John Inman was on the TV explaining yep. what a Poof meant, yep. you know, to people, which was kind of weird. Um, yeah, like that's that would never happen today. Uh, we talked about like Mr. Quito and all of these racist things, and yeah, to call someone a poof, especially in '77. I think these days, I don't know, British people maybe I'm off base, but I have a feeling poof is a little bit less incendiary. Maybe not, mm. but I don't just you know, it's one of those kind of each kind of moments. Yeah. So they start rehearsing, right? And so Mr. Humphreys is giving out the blocking. And Captain Peacock is playing the man about town. And he's wearing all Grace Brothers clothes and carrying all Grace Brothers accessories. So Mr. Lucas is holding the boom mic above his head. And he has to walk down the stairs while Captain Peacock walks down the stairs. Except he does it like Mrs. Slocum. Like, you know how she always kind of, like, tromps down the stairs? Because her dress is too tight and she's wearing wedges, yeah. (laughs) And so he's doing the same thing. Oh, we haven't even discussed her dress. Oh, my God. her dress. Okay, so she's wearing this green sequin dress that looks (laughs) god-awful under the stage lighting. I thought it looked fantastic. How dare you, You've got to be kidding me. No. It is, like, seaweed green. I like, thought it was it, gold. I thought it was gold. It's it's not even like an emerald. It, it's not a Kelly green. It's not even something that picks up light well, those kind of lights well. It just looks really drab. Jeff doesn't like a dress on a woman unless it looks like J- uh, Jessica Rabbit. That's his problem. <laughs> um, her eyeglass glue still isn't dry, so she's still doing the bit with pulling her face. And she's Except, overflowing in, from her decolletage, right, right? With her, you know, she no longer has a size 38 bust. They've squeezed no. her into a she's tiny dress. She's back to the 50. And she's yeah. back into the 50 range, right? <laughs> so I thought she looked fabulous, but... So the Captain Peacock character enters the club and there's a bit of business in trying to hand the umbrella and the hat to Miss Brahms about which hand you take it in and handing over the ticket. They're not doing Um, it well. They're not doing it well. And they do it twice poorly. It's like, all right, you beat this bit to death a little bit, (laughs) right? You should should have saved it all for the shoot and not for the rehearsal, right? (laughs) It's getting better, though. It's building up, man. The pressure's getting high. It it is building up. That is true, right? Because we're still in the rehearsal and they... They're, they're still in the rehearsal, and that is the only bit that they redo in, in, in the live shoot, which is great, right? So, yep. um, during the rehearsal, Mrs. Silicon can't get on the bar stool because her dress is too <laughs> tight. So, Mr. Lucas has to help her onto the stool, and he approaches her like they're about to wrestle. And like he's, he's, like, sizing her stance, up. Right? Yeah, he's like, how do I do this? Okay, I have to get my, my legs wider, I have to, like move my arms wide oh my god and the look on his face and the look on her face right. is They're sort of like each other what are you down. about to do it's like two wild animals trying to decide whether they want to fight or fuck <laughs> <laughs> um so captain peacock approaches the bar 
The usual, please, Henry. And Mr. Granger so desperately wants to be a part of this commercial that he tries to ad-lib a line. Oh, it's very good seeing you again. (laughs) At which Mr. Humphreys, as the director, starts to get angry. And this is where the fun part comes in, right? Because we see his temper flare up. And whenever Mr. (laughs) Humphreys gets exacerbated, his voice goes up two octaves. (laughs) Yeah. And we know he's going to pitch a fit quite soon, right? So, um, Mr. Granger has made up this whole backstory about his usual customer, that his usual cocktail, his usual drink is a sidecar, which is uh, a cognac, orange liqueur, and a lemon juice served in a martini glass. Now, pretty good. Now, here's a bit of, here's a bit of trivia for you. Mm. Sidecar, cognac, orange liqueur, lemon juice. If you take the cognac... And replace it with brandy and then serve it in a sugar-coated glass, what is the name of that cocktail? And I know you know the name of this cocktail from somewhere. Ooh. Brandy, orange liqueur, and lemon juice. Right. Served in a sugar-coated snifter. It's not a Brandy Alexander because that has milk in it. No, it is not a Brandy Alexander, but you're on the right track. <gasps> Ooh. God, I have no idea. I give up. It's called a Brandy Crusta. What the, the hell? I don't know what that is. Well, do you remember <laughs> the episode of Kath and Kim where Sandy Freckle comes to visit and Kel thinks he's going to try and um, steal Kath away from him? <gasps> Oh, and he tries. He tries. And he does to do try. That. He does try. Yes. And she she gets she's um serving drinks one night and is suggesting one and at both at the same time, Kath and Sandy say Brandy Crusta. And that's the <gasps> oh. first clue that Cal has that something might be up. That's right. Okay, I should have known that. I don't. You should not have known it. That was a stretch. That was a far reach. I was giving you the benefit of the <laughs> Anyway. Um <laughs> Captain Peacock's character goes over and opens his jacket to pull out his cigarette case, but also to reveal the label inside. Yeah. It's a Grace Brothers. And awkwardly offers uh, Mrs. Slocum a cigarette. She goes, oh, I didn't see you there. Meanwhile, she's got her one eye half open because of the damn <laughs> eyelash glue. So it's pretty funny there, right? And what's really cute is that the fact that when... We didn't really explain it, but when, when Mr. Lucas picked her up and placed and deposited her deposited. On, onto the stool. So she couldn't, she tried to hop up and she can't really move because the dress is too tight. And she's wearing these funny wedges, these shoes. Um, so she, she kind of has to like hop around and hobble. So she can't move her legs to get on top of the uh, stool. So Mr. Mr. Lucas has to like pick her up. And deposit her onto the thing. So she can't get off of the stool and she's stuck on it. Right. So the awkward part about giving her the cigarette is not only he's fumbling around the case, but he has to like reach over because she can't like get up out of her bar stool. She can't see. (laughs) She can't see, right? (laughs) That's so stupid. Oh, God. So Mr. Harmon is over on the side, you know, listening in the audio and he's not getting a good (laughs) mic reading off the boom for Mrs. Slocum. So he gives her a radio mic, and she drops it down her cleavage. <laughs> oh, it slipped right down. 
And so rather than trying to have the boom mic there and Mr. Lucas taking up space, they try and get Peacock um, on the same mic. And so he ends up talking like into her bosom, into her like cleavage. Like, oh, your face looks very familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Brahms comes up with a brilliant idea. (laughs) Wouldn't it be better if he shouted up her skirt? And then Mrs. Lucas says, no one's going to shout up my skirt saying I recognize the face. (laughs) Hello, I think I recognize your face. (laughs) So this is where we start to get absurdist, right? (laughs) The idea that they would film a commercial inside the department store and and use staff in order to save money, it's barely plausible, right? But now we start getting into all of these things going wrong because these people are such bad actors. They're not professional uh, filmmakers that it's borderline absurd, but it's funny as hell. And that's and what's what funny is that humor. every poor Mr. Humphreys, he's trying his best. He's really trying. And every scene he says, it's OK. We'll do it again later. Does it? Oh, you, you, you fucked up that scene. It's OK. We'll do it again later. <laughs> Everything will do it again later. Oh, God. So Mr. Rumbold comes in with his um, concertina or mini accordion. I'm not really sure which one it is. Squeeze box. It's one of the three. Um, and it's broken. It doesn't play. It just farts instead. Right? It just makes like... <laughs> which is gross sounding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Mr. young Mr. Grace comes in. Deus ex machina, like he always does. <laughs> Yes. Um, he, he's going to do a bit in the commercial as well. And they've only got five minutes, so they have to try and film it for real. Right. Yeah. So we get the whole, we see the whole commercial play out again. We get the bit with Peacock and Brahms in the umbrella. So now they're the really hat. filming Fine, it. Right? They're using celluloid. They've yeah. got to do it right this time. So Peacock asks for his usual Henry and Mr. Granger takes direction and he just answers with a Somerset mumble. Blah, 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 blah. Ah. <laughs> At this point, it's when I start to lose it. <laughs> Mr. Granger sprays soda all over Peacock from his whiskey dispenser, from his siphon, right? Yeah. Slocum goes to dance with Peacock, and she's stuck to the chair. So she's dancing around in this, like, two, in this, like, you know, little box step with this bar stool stuck to her derriere, right? In the, the reason why her this bar stool would be stuck to her to her ass doesn't make any sense. Like, uh, uh, you just have to accept the absurdity of it. But I've noticed watching it today, if you look really closely, you can see um, chain uh, chains connecting the stool to her dress oh. covered with fabric. So I'm like, uh-huh. how do they do that? And I looked, I'm like, oh, you can kind of see chains. And then, of course, and then Mr. Rumbold with a horrible mustache comes in with his non-functioning accordion. <laughs> and then so they're dancing. And Mr. Lucas is there with the boom mic. And He's then, waltzing along with them back yeah. and forth, right? So then Mr. <laughs> Grace's closing line is supposed to be, you'll have a bubbly champagne time shopping at Grace Brothers. And he's supposed to pour a glass of the champagne. But he can't chew gum and walk at the same time, so he's pouring the entire bottle of champagne on the floor. <laughs> While Mr. Rumble is doing that the whole time. So, like, every, every layer is added to the other layers, and it gets more ridiculous and insane. And then you see Mr. Mr. Young Mr. Grace 
doing his little line, looking like 90 pounds of fluff, and uh, pouring all of the champagne onto the ground. Not even getting it anywhere close to the glass, right? And then he says, oh, dear, I either need a, lo- a wider mouth or a longer bottle. A longer bottle, right? <laughs> How do you think we did, Mr. Humphreys? Well, well, sir, you're the boss. You make the decision. Mr. Rumbold, get through through the advertising agency and have Spike Milligan jumping through a boat. <laughs> Deus ex machina. There we Never go. mind. It doesn't matter. I'll go home. The end. And that's the show. Oh. And that's the end of series five, everyone. We're halfway through the uh, through the series. What? That's insane. So um, we haven't really had much of a discussion about what we're going to do for the next show. But we've we, only mentioned it twice this episode well, and once you last know, episode. <laughs> are we going to do an entire movie on one podcast or do we break it up into two p- pieces? Oh, that's a good question. See how we um, judge me, people? Say I think about things sometimes. Because the movie is the movie's 90 minutes long, right? Yeah. Um, but to be honest, it doesn't have a lot of plot. It's a lot of recycled jokes from seasons one through five. And why are we deciding to do the movie now? Uh, because it's the last appearance of Mr. Granger ever before he goes to the big boardroom in the sky. Out of respect to uh, the lovable old bartender. Yes. Henry, the lovable old bartender, yeah. <laughs> so you'll, you'll definitely, unanimous, you'll definitely get one episode out of the movie, and depending how much we get done, maybe you'll get two. Yeah. So if you have already seen the movie, I, I've asked some friends online and listeners on the Facebook page, and not a lot of people have seen the movie. So I wonder if we could do like, it'd be cool if we could do like a, I don't know, where we all watch the movie together, but... It wouldn't really work, would it? But um, I've heard it's cool to see the characters, like, in Spain. And I think they actually were in Spain. Like They, they were actually, in Spain, and, yep. Um, and it's weird to think back then TV was nothing, and back then film was everything, where you yep. made money. So I'm sure the idea of, hey, can we do a movie? Can we do a movie? Can we do a movie? That's where we make lots of money. Well, they we, ha- I mean, they had the stage show in Blackpool, and that's what this is based off of. Right, oh. they basically did a film adaptation of their stage show. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. So anyway, the movie is available pretty widely in the states. Right, it's available on iTunes. It's available on Amazon Prime. I'm sure if you get creative, you can figure out other way other ways to watch it legally. Um, but um, you know, take the time to to find it. Spend 90 minutes and sit down and get ready for some recycled jokes in a new milieu. We'll talk to you next week about it. And hopefully we'll have that episode um, out in time for you to do your Black Friday shopping, maybe. Ooh. So, Mr. Brandon, if people have any suggestions for are you being served gift ideas or they want to tell us about their favorite English dessert or they want to tell us about Spike Milligan jumping through a bottom of a boat, how can they get in touch with us? I didn't like that one. Um, you can get in <laughs> touch with us on Facebook at That Does Suit Madam. Twitter, hashtag, no, Twitter, call sign. Handle. Handle, thank you. Does Suit Madam. Or email, That Does Suit Madam, with an E, at gmail.com. Or you can call the Peacock Hotline. That's 662-PEACOCK, 662 732 2625, we do listen to all of your messages. And if you're not in the United States, you can use your cell phone's voice memo recorder and email us the file. So with that, Mr. Jeff, 
Thank you very much, listeners. You've all, all done, done very, very well. <laughs> that does suit madam is not endorsed by the BBC, and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are You Being Served is a copyrighted program of the BBC. If you have any doubts about the origin or content of this program, please contact our support desk.